All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and as usual, I am your host here. Thank you all so very, very much for listening. I always appreciate it. Anything you can do to interact with the product is, as always, um, is great. I'd say appreciate it again, because it's slightly redundant, but it really is. So, like, comment, subscribe if that's relevant to your podcast platform of choice. Star rating, written review, whatever you can do. Uh, that all helps. If you've done any and all of that, then please share. Tell people in your personal life if you think they'd enjoy the show. Tell people on your social media platform of choice if you just want to clog their feed. That's all fine and dandy. Uh, anything you can do, again, that's always awesome, and I appreciate the heck out of all of you guys. I know I don't have the biggest audience in the world yet. I have aspirations. They're silly, but I have them. Um, but I appreciate uh, all of you guys, so thank you. Uh, all right, on the agenda this evening. Last night, UFC on ESPN Plus 81, the probably the second biggest combat sports event. Of the, it's weird to say this, but I think the bare-knuckle event was a might have had a bigger footprint. I'll talk a little bit about that bare knuckle event and bare knuckle in general here. I, I I haven't talked about them a whole lot for a number of reasons. Not that I'm not aware of them, but I just haven't been terribly compelled to talk, felt all that compelled to talk about them. But in the wake of last night, I do feel like there's uh, there's some stuff to talk about there for a little bit. So we'll talk a little bit about that and preview. This coming Saturday, UFC 288, bantamweight title rematch, uh, rematch, bantamweight title match, whole pay-per-view breakdown, lots of stuff to get to. All right. Uh, and then, of course, news, such as there is, kind of light news-wise, but I might get to editorialize a little bit on a few things, more so than usual. I mean, I'm not exactly a reporter here, uh, nor do I claim to be, so. All right, let's, let's jump into that. With that stuff out of the way. So, first up, UFC on ESPN plus 81. Not a terrible card. Um, I can't call it great for a fight night. Especially for like an Apex fight night, which is the lowest tier of UFC events at the moment. For those of you who might be new, like the UFC hierarchy goes something like this, I think. Pay-per-views. Fight nights not at the Apex, because you have to sell tickets for those. And then fight nights at the Apex kind of occupy, like, again, it's kind of the lowest UFC rung at the moment. It wasn't terrible, which I'll take most days. It was, but I can't call it great. This was not great, but I've seen worse. Like, I'm not trying to dogpile on this card. It probably ultimately was about what I think we all expected, right? Um, fortunately, you know, a couple of things. Um, we lost a few fights during fight week, actually. Uh, Brian Kelleher pulled out of his fight with Journey Newsom like three days before the event. Uh, that that sucked. Uh it sucks for Kelleher. I mean, he doesn't like to pull out, but he was replaced, and we'll talk about that fight when it comes up. We had a couple of weight misses, uh, which is never a good thing. 
Um, both Haley Cowan and Irina Alexeva missed weight. Cowan, I'll give a slight, and let me stress slight. First of all, she weighed 137 and a half for a bantamweight fight. So a pound and a half over your grace period. Um, the reason I'll give her a minor pass, and I'll, again, I'll stress minor. This was like her third weight cut in, what, two months, give or take? And she'd, like, she was supposed to fight a few different times before tonight, and they fell apart, and a couple of them fell apart last minute, so she'd started the weight cutting process. And weight cutting sucks. Doing that many that close together will mess with your body. So, and I'm usually willing to give everybody one anyway, you know, just randomness of the universe, but better not happen again. Um, Alexeva, I don't think has a legitimate excuse, and she missed by, she she weighed 140 for a bantamweight fight, so uh, yeah, less forgiving there personally, but again, to the best of my knowledge, it's her first time, so who knows. Anyway, we had those, and then, didn't we lose another fight? Uh, hang on. Oh, right, right, Pete Rodriguez and Natan Levy was rescheduled for the UFC on ABC event that is not this Saturday, but next. Uh, that was supposed to be on this card. That got moved. There was something up with Rodriguez. They just had to move it a little bit, so okay, fair enough. Ultimately... Here's what kills me. I'm fine with shorter fight cards. This was what, 12 fights? Hang on. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Was this only 11? 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, this was only 11 fights. I'm fine with shorter fight cards. The problem is there's still like 6 hours. <laughs> so there's a lot of vamping and a lot of downtime and a lot of... Hey, here's a promotional package, and then a commercial break, and then another doohickey, and then we come back. Like, they still have to keep the same airtime, so they just stretch these things out. And it's, uh, that can get rough. They can get a little rough. But, anyway, main event. So let's talk about the fights. In the main event, Song Yudong defeats Ricky Simone via TKO punches, 110 of the 5th. Um, I don't mean to say that Simone was never in this fight. That would be a pretty gross disservice to him. However, let me phrase it like this. For the entire fight, there was a noticeable gap in skill everywhere in favor of Song. Faster hands, more power, better ring craft... Uh, he only got taken down once and, like, forced to scramble very, very quickly. Other than that, the takedown was just not there for Simone. And if he can't get you down, he can't win. Uh, better shot selection, some nasty body work from Song. Uh, he was just better pretty much everywhere. So kudos to him. He needed the good rebound. Uh, that last fight when... It's not that he was never in the fight with Corey Sandhagen, uh, Song. But he was just, it wasn't quite like the reverse of this one, you know, where he was just a step behind every step of the way. Um, he had some stuff for Sandhagen, but once he got cut and that eye started getting messed up, like that was all over. Like that was when things went horribly wrong for him. And Sandhagen was just a little bit more 
tactical, uh, a little bit more technical, and he kind of... Song seems to have learned some of the appropriate lessons. He was a bit more measured here. Uh, he throws heat, man. Big thing I took away from... Uh, the, the end of the fight, so end of the fourth round, Song drops Simone with a left hook. Not enough time to finish. It was like right at the end of the round. Second round, he gets right back on offense, backs him up, crushes him with another left hook. Simone tries to fight up, gets dropped again. The referee jumps in. Um, really, really solid all-around performance out of Song here. He's got power. He carries it late. He's got fast hand. He's got pretty good kicks. They get... They get slept on a little bit because he doesn't use them very often. His front kick was pretty good here when he used it. In fact, it set up some really good shots. His body work is good. He's not afraid to go to the body, um, especially if uh, if he gets you against the fence and you're circling off. He doesn't really headhunt from there. He's happy to hit the body. Uh, he's still real good. Like He was ranked 8 coming in, and I believe Simone was 10. He showed... There was a pretty serious difference in skill, again, everywhere. So, uh, after the fight, he said he wanted to fight Sean O'Malley or have a rematch with Marlon Vera. I could be down for either of those. I don't know that. I don't know how likely either of them is. The Vera fight is more likely, given that Vera just lost. Um. O'Malley's probably just sitting and waiting for a title shot at this point, right? Would be my hunch. But Song should... Uh, I could see him getting a fight against... Uh, again, getting a fight up instead of down after this one. Um, the, again, let me double-check the rankings. I, I would be fine. The Vera fight... I think is not unlikely. So bantamweight at the moment is Sterling champion, Mirab one, O'Malley two, Sandhagen three, Jan four, Vera five, Font six, Cruz seven, Song eight. Hmm. So I mean, you can't go wrong, right? Song and Jan, that would be a heck of a fight. I don't really want to see a rematch between Song and Sandhagen. Like, let that one sit for a little bit. But, you know, Song and Font? Yeah. Again, like, Jan, Vera, or Font are both, are all three relatively likely uh, in terms of availability and would be great fights. So, I'd be down for any of that. Uh, Song seems to be coming on a little bit. He's always been pretty darn good. He's hit some weird kind of roadblocks and ceilings at various points, but he definitely performed very, very ably here, and that should be rewarded with a relatively big fight. So, good for him. Pretty good fighting. A little bit too one-sided to merit a genuine... There was no fight of the night, let me just tell you that. This was a little bit too one-sided, I think, to merit one. If there was going to be one, it might have been this one. Um, this was probably the most entertaining fight of the night, at least for me. But my taste and the taste of the UFC brass and whatnot um, don't really line up all that often. Uh, unfortunate for Simone, who had a pretty good win streak going, but 
he stepped up in class and got uh, shown where his current level is. He might be able to rebound and make another pretty solid run. He's still... Simone's not old. He's 30-something. 30. He's got time. So he might still be able to bounce back. Bantamweight's just a tough division, man. It's just a really, really tough division. I mean, you got Song sitting at number 8 coming into this, and maybe you could swap him and Cruz at 7, but he wasn't a top 5 guy, and I don't think that was in dispute. Not really. And he's that good? It's a tough weight class. It's a tough weight class. All right, moving on. Let's see. Middleweights. Uh, Kyo Bahalio defeated Mikhail Oleksijuk via rear naked choke, 249 of the second. Um, pretty good stuff from Bahalio here. Um, Oleksijuk gave him some problems early, was landing on him, landed some pretty nasty body shots. Bahalio was willing to throw back, uh, got some takedowns. Oleksijuk has pretty good takedown defense. But his ability to scramble off of his back, to wall walk, and then to disengage, not quite where it needs to be. And that's kind of the exploit that Bahalio found here. Uh, pretty solid stuff from him. Got him down when he was struggling to get up. Moved to, you know, to the ride position. Got the back. Got the choke. Bahalio, I think, wanted a top 15 guy after this. He's on a long unbeaten streak overall. Undefeated in the UFC. I don't hate the idea of him stepping up. Let's see, who's near the bottom of middleweight? Um, so you got Brendan, like someone like Brendan Allen, Andre Muniz, uh, poor Chris Curtis. Still feel bad for that guy. Um, Nasruddin Imovov sitting at number 12. Um, you know, Allen might... Allen might be viable. Um, I was going to save this for the um, for the news section, but let me talk about it here instead, I guess. Um, Jack Hermanson was supposed to fight Brandon Allen in the main event of UFC on ESPN 45. Hermanson is out of that. Allen's calling for a rematch with Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland has already got a fight lined up for a little bit later in the year, main eventing against uh, Abus, Abus Mago... Mago something. I know him as uh, as uh, Abu. It's actually Abu Sa I believe it's Abu Sapien. Hang on, I will get this gentleman's name correct. Um, yeah, it's just Magomedov. Yeah, Sean Strickland and Abu Sapien. Um, he goes. I believe he just goes by Abus yeah, as shorthand. Um, that is supposed to be the main event of J the July first card. Um, so you've seen ESPN plus 83. So it seems unlikely that he's going to move to the June 3rd card to fight Brendan Allen. If Bahalio doesn't mind the turnaround, uh, Bahalio and Allen is quite doable. And, uh, again, that's kind of dependent on Bahalio being able to make weight again on a relatively shorter timetable. Um, but it's definitely an opportunity for him, I think. So there's that. Uh, let's see. Also at middleweight, um, Adolfo Vieira defeated Cody Brundage via arm triangle choke, 128 of the second. 
decent little fight here. Um, Brundage came storming out of the gates. Um, landed some pretty good punches. Dropped Vieira at one point in the first. Uh, unfortunately, Vieira's grappling. His takedown game has improved a lot. And he was able to... Towards the end of the first... He, Vieira avoided a 10-8 in my estimation with what he did at the end of the first. He got a takedown. Got on top. Passed guard. Got at the, he got, might have got full mount at the end. Uh, or very nearly at the back. But, and and then he had the back. Um, it wasn't full back amount. He only had one hook in, but he was landing some pretty good punches. Did enough to, again to avoid the 10-8 in my estimation. Second round, Vieira's able to get a takedown. Uh, gets on top in half guard, passes, arm triangle threat, gets the back. Brundage tries to defend from the back. But there's ways that you can attack the arm triangle. If you attack it correctly and the other guy gives up his back to avoid the choke, you can keep the elements of the grip, certainly the head position and the arm position, and then threaten them from, and then you kind of threaten them as you're on their hip or their back and force them back over onto their back and you have the arm triangle basically locked up. That's what happened here. Brundage had to tap. Um... Very, Vieira's corner was super emotional after this. I don't know all that went into his camp or everything, but there was a lot of emotion that came out after this fight. Um, when was Vieira's last fight? I mean, he'd been out of action for less than a year, but a not insignificant amount of time. I mean, he was supposed to fight Brundage in November of last year. Uh, Vera had some kind of issue. Um, yeah, he, um, before he fought Chris Curtis, actually, he was supposed to fight Wellington Terman. He had some kind of medical issue. Um, what was it? Um, let's see. He had like a cerebral angiograph. So they, they were worried about something in his brain. Uh, the blood flow there. They wanted to make sure there was no like aneurysm waiting to, waiting to rupture or whatnot. Um, so he, there was a lot that he had to deal with over the last little bit. So I, I give him credit. Uh, he looked pretty good here. Uh, a little bit, again, his takedowns in, had improved pretty solidly. Uh, Brundage is a very good wrestler, so taking him down is no mean feat. His striking looked, looked like he'd been working on it. It's obviously never going to be his strong suit. But it had become a bit more serviceable, I think, coming into this. So, solid enough win for Vieira. Sucks for Brundage. Man, he was gutted after this loss. Um, he, you could see it all over his face. Like, Brund, there was a lot of emotion for both guys in this fight. Not because they dislike each other. Uh, just both guys seem to be carrying a lot. Brundage just, um, just absolutely beside himself. It's uh, hard not to feel for the guy, but... Solid win for Vieira. Kind of got himself back on track. I don't think he's ever going to really make a run at the belt. Um, middleweight just... It's not the best division in the world. But there's a handful of guys who are just really... I don't think he'd, I don't think he'd get close to beating. Let's see. Featherweight. This was a nice one. Fernando Padilla defeating Julian Arosa via punches. Uh, 141 of the first. 
Um, Arosa wasn't thrilled with the stoppage in this one. I can understand why. I can also understand why the stoppage happened. So, um, Arosa's coming forward. Padilla backs up a little bit and cracks Arosa with a three-punch combination that visibly hurts him. He backs up to the fence. Padilla gives chase. Padilla crushes him with a right hand. He drops to his knees. He fights back up. Another couple of punches, and he looks like he's going down again. As he's dropping, he catches himself up with a hand, uh, backs himself up, and starts to circle away off the fence. The ref is already jumping in. I can understand his being upset with this. I really can. Um, I can also understand when you... In real time, I was kind of like, man, he was up and he was moving. Not great. Rewatching it, not even slow mo, just like rewatching it in real uh, at speed. Like you got hurt, you got dropped, you got dropped a second time. Like I, I'm not saying this was the best stoppage ever, but I can totally track why the referee made the decision he did. And I don't think, again, slightly early stoppage. Yeah, I, I would probably say it was a little bit early. But when you look at what had happened to him, like, very, again, this happens very quickly. Damage accrues very quickly. I can understand it from the referee's perspective. So I'm not, I'm not going to throw the ref under the bus here. Um, solid win for Padilla. He looked pretty darn good. Um, he absolutely looked UFC ready, if nothing else. So um, Erosa's no pushover. He's got a really weird career in terms of his ups and downs. But he's nobody's, he's nobody's cakewalk. And this wasn't a cakewalk for Padilla. It's not like Arosa didn't land on him, but uh, Padilla, he looked good. Long, rangy guy for the weight class. Tall, accurate puncher. Um, heck of a debut. Heck of a debut for him. At heavyweight, because of course... Uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima defeated Waldo Cortez Acosta via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. De Lima wins the first two rounds and drops the third, and it's just heavyweight. Um, de Lima's leg kicks were a pretty important factor here. Cortez Acosta leans heavily on his jab. I don't just mean, like, in two ways. One, he builds his game off of it. He builds off of his jab. He also leans pretty heavy when he jabs. Um, I've talked about this before, the, the different kinds of jab you can employ. Acosta seems, Cortez Acosta seems to lean into the, he likes the power jab, more weight on the lead foot, stick it out there and really kind of pound a rail spike. There's nothing wrong with that kind of jab. You just have to be aware that if you do that consistently, your lead leg is going to kind of be hanging out there, and DeLima is a powerful kicker. Uh, he landed a bunch of leg kicks. They both landed some punches, but neither guy got really hurt or rocked. Got um, DeLima got takedowns in one and two. Uh, then he just kind of faded in the third, but, you know, I, I mentioned it, you know. the Some of these guys that the UFC likes, they give you, you know, they give you a couple. Then that, you know, third, fourth one, they don't mind. The UFC has no interest in developing talent. 
in the way that talent should be developed. And that's not that's not a criticism in the sense that like why don't why don't you have mechanisms in your model for developing talent? Because a big part of the theory behind the UFC is you're already one of the best when you get here, right? This is this is a, again a big part of the theory is we have the best. Now that doesn't always mean like only the top five guys, but you don't come into the UFC until you are, in theory, a very form an already like formed fighter. So they don't mind taking guys that look pretty good, a little bit of preferential matchmaking, and then they just throw you to the wolves. Um, we're seeing this with Sean Brady. Uh, the UFC announced, I think, I may, I might have talked about it last week. If I did, I'm going to repeat myself here. If I didn't, I apologize for missing it last week. But um, 290 is going to host, uh, UFC 290 is going to host Sean Brady and Jack versus Jack Della Maddalena. Sean Brady looked pretty good for a while. Then he got stopped by Bilal Muhammad. He gets, and his reward for that is to now fight Jack Della Maddalena. I mean, if you get stopped by Bilal Muhammad strikes, I'm, I'm not saying Bilal Muhammad doesn't have some decent power. I'm saying he doesn't have a track record of stopping guys. Certainly not just flush on the feet. Like if if Bilal Muhammad's one twos over and over again were enough to break through Brady's striking defense, JDM is going to eat him. Now the question becomes whether or not Brady can out wrestle JDM and force him into the grappling, where Brady will have an advantage. But that's why we have the fights. I'm just saying, like, this is kind of what they do. So Waldo. Had a couple of good enough UFC performances, and then, hey, fight this guy. Marcos Rogerio de Lima is not exactly the top of the division. I don't even think he was ranked. But he's a guy who's been around for a long time, has demonstrated skills, and the UFC... I don't... Let me put it like this. The level of matchmaking that went into... Uh, the first couple of fights for Cortez Acosta is not what he is going to get, not what he got here, not what he is going to get going forward. The UFC will get, they'll give you like three. And then you sink or swim, man. And they probably feel like they're being generous giving you three. So, I'm not saying don't go to the UFC. I'm saying you should be very aware of where you are as a fighter when you do. Because if you go there thinking, I'm going to still develop my skills here, you're going to get run over sooner rather than later. And uh, dude, fighter development, not just MMA, boxing, kickboxing, like Muay Thai doesn't care because Muay Thai's weird, culturally. Like they've got, you know, eight-year-olds out there who already have 50 fights under their belt. Muay Thai is kind of a different animal in that respect. But fighter development is so hard. It takes a real fine hand. You have to know when to push. You have to know when to step up. You have to know who to step up against. And maybe you lose along the way. Most people do at some point. But you have to, like, that's a fine line. And the UFC is not obliged to help to help any fighter develop at all. 
nor will they. So, if you sign that, if you sign that UFC deal, especially if you have less than like ten fights, I I've said this before, man. I can probably I can probably count on one hand the number of guys I've seen come into the UFC that junior in their career and actually have it work out for them. It is a rare, rare few that prove the rule. Honestly, the only one off the top of my head that I can really think of is like, okay, I can think of two. And they're both heavyweights. Because like Kane and Brock Lesnar, uh, Kane Velasquez and Brock Lesnar both came into the UFC with like, Brock came in at like 1-0. and um, Kane came in at 3-0. and And they both kind of made it work. The flip side of that is actually, if you look at Brock, um, imagine for just a minute, he actually had developed as a fighter the way most people do. Think about that for just a minute. If he's not, you know, Frank Mir into Heath Herring into freaking Randy Couture into Mir again into, was it Carwin after that? Like, Brock's success is an, the aberration of all aberrations. If he had actually developed as a fighter, and I don't just mean, like, working on his skills, I'm fairly sure he did. And, I, in fact, I know he did. Like, there's a lot that goes into fighter development that also includes who you fight when and getting cage time. If Brock Lesnar had developed... Like a normal fighter, at a nor- like I don't mean like a normal fighter because he was abnormal, but I mean imagine what he could have done, right? If he developed, if he'd taken time to develop as a fighter the way most fighters do, he would have been. The only thing that would have stopped him was that illness, was diverticulitis. His athletic ability was so good. I mean, Kane might have beaten him anyway, because Kane, again, uber special. Right? You had those two guys who just super special talents. They don't come along like that almost ever, and that's the point. So be careful. That's all I'm saying. Uh, welterweight. Ooh, this one, man. Trey Waters defeats Josh Quinlan. Um, Waters stepped in on short notice. Replacing, um, okay, hang on. Who'd he replace? Um, Angelosa, like during fight week. Um, Trey Waters is huge. For well, he's six five and fights at welterweight. I haven't look. I'm like six one. I haven't weighed one seventy since I was like in high school. I don't know how this guy did it, but he does. Um, he looked real good. Uh, he looked really good. Good counters, great distance management. Quinlan never got a feel for the range. He was constantly trying to lunge in and just getting countered over and over and over again. I, dude, Trey Waters came into this fight and he proved he should have been here. Um, 
I'm not I'm not exactly calling Josh Quinlan a world beater, but the way Waters performed, whew, he looked real good. I'm curious to see what he does in this division, man. He he looked really good. Uh, nice again, nice timing, great understanding of distance, good shot selection. Really tall, really rangy for that weight class. Um, pay attention to that guy. Pay attention to that guy. So that was your main card. Um, prelims, Martin uh, Bo Martin Budai defeated Jake Collier via unanimous decision. Collier has some absurd stat where in the first round of his heavyweight fights, he's outstruck his opponents by a pretty hefty margin, but has never been the has never been the busier fighter or outstruck his opponents in rounds two and three. Kind of what happened here. Um, Collier had a decent enough first round. Then Budai just took over. Landed better punches, better clinch work. Collier just faded. Uh, kind of all it was. Flyweights. Um, Cody Durden defeated Charles Johnson via unanimous decision 30-27 across the boards. Durden with a good couple of first rounds. Um, relentless wrestler. Absolutely relentless. He started to fade in the third, and Johnson was starting to touch him up. Charles Johnson's a very good striker. But Johnson couldn't quite keep him off um, in the third. Durden got another takedown. He spent a lot of time on the back in the backpack riding. Um, I think after the fight, Durden said he'd like a top 15 guy. Um, Durden has lost... He's lost twice at flyweight in the UFC um, to Jimmy Flick and Mohamed Mikhaev. Uh, but he's currently on he's now on a, like a three-fight winning streak now. Some of it makes sense for him. Um. So Mikhaev is sitting at 12. I don't I'm not really interested in the rematch. 13 is Sumudarji. 14 is Tiger Ulan Bekov, and 15 is Bruno. Silva. For some reason Tim Elliott sitting at 11. I wouldn't hate Elliott. Um, but Sumudarji, Ulanbekov, Bruno Silva, any of those could work. Uh, you dude's a relentless wrestler. All right. Um, women's bantamweight again. Alexiva missed weight. She did hit a really nice knee bar in Stephanie Egger though. Um, Egger was able to. They started trading, and Alexeva squared up and just started swinging from the waist. Not a good sign technically, but Egger wasn't really going to punish her for it. They tied up. Bit of a throw from Egger. Egger gets the back standing. Alexeva rolls for a knee bar and gets it. I like a good leg lock. Um, nice finish. Pity she missed weight by as much as she, she did, but nice enough knee bar. Uh, at a deliberate catch weight of 140 pounds, Marcus McGee, who again stepped in on like three days' notice to replace Brian Kelleher, he beat the crap. He beat up Journey Newsom and submitted him with a rear naked choke, 203 of the second. Heck of a performance from McGee here. Not intimidated by the moment, not intimidated by Newsom. Got after him right away. Um, constantly denied him. Uh, what he wanted to do. 
Newsom likes... He likes throwing, like, a front kick off his back leg and then transitioning to a side kick with his front leg forward. So, like, if he's... I think he's right-legged. So, like, orthodox stance, front kick, land forward, side kick to follow up out of the now southpaw. Um, the fact that McGee was southpaw denied him a lot of what he was trying to do for setups. Better punching from McGee. Newsom failed a takedown in the second and kind of seemed to just give up. Um... McGee got the ride position, pounded on him, got the back, got the choke. On short notice, uh, rock-solid stuff from McGee here. Really good. And kicking everything off, Jamie Lynn Horth defeated um, Haley Cowan via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. I don't have anything to say about this. It wasn't a good fight. Uh, yeah, so that was it. Again, no fight of the night. Your, performances, your performance bonuses went to... Song Yudong, Kyle Bahalio, Hadolfo Vieira, and Marcus McGee. Um, unfortunate for Padilla, I think the Dana White probably agreed with the la- with the stoppage being bad, so Padilla wasn't rewarded. Um, and Alex Ziva wasn't going to get a bonus because she missed weight. Otherwise, she probably would have. But this is one of those like you know, most everyone who got a finish got a bonus, so. Another reminder, the UFC could do that every time out, but they choose not to. So that was the event. Full report, as always, in the MMAZona411mania.com. Go give it a read if you're so inclined. Always appreciate that. All right. Uh, Let's talk BKFC very briefly here. Uh, So Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship had an event. One of their bigger events, actually. Um, I caught part of it. Uh, I watched from the... I started with the uh, the fight between Ben Rothwell and Josh Copeland is kind of where I came in. Which was not a bad little heavyweight fight. Uh, Rothwell won both guys badly busted up and cut. You get messed up in bare knuckle. Um, I didn't care about the women's title fight. Um... The fight between Eddie Alvarez and Chad Mendez, uh, I bring this up specifically because Chad Mendez retired after this. He's 40. Um, he gassed in this fight. And, um, I mean, he kind of pushed through it. Bare Knuckle has, like two, has two minute rounds. And this has been said before. Like, your cardio will suffer if you. It's not even that it's bad. But if you fight at a different pace with a different rhythm than you're used to, your cardio suffers. I mean, um, look, this isn't even a drug joke, but TJ Dillashaw mentioned this after he sparred with uh, Vasily Lomachenko because they did only boxing, so three-minute rounds. TJ Dillashaw could fight 10 rounds in MMA. I'm fairly sure of that. Again, that, that's not even like a, he was on, you know, the EPO joke. Dude had killer cardio. He got tired boxing Lomachenko because the three-minute rounds present a different pace and the intensity of what's going on is a little bit different. So I'm I'm not here to throw uh, Mendez under the bus going, yeah, he got tired fighting two-minute rounds. It's not that, oh, no, his cardio sucks. Dude, fighting two minutes, that's almost sprinting. If you've never had like a... Fight a two-minute round once or twice. It it will mess you up in the head how fast you have to go. And 
what it does to you physically. So I'm again, I'm not bagging on the guy, but he got tired. Um, he Eddie Alvarez again wins a split decision. If you like bare knuckle, and I don't hate it, this was a really good fight. So give it a watch if you haven't. Worth looking up. Uh, and again, Mendez retired after the fact. Uh, unfor- one of the better guys, I think, to never hold a belt in either the WC or UFC. Fought for the UFC belt twice. Came up short both times against Jose Aldo. Uh, fought for the interim belt against Conor McGregor and came up short. Uh, a perennial bridesmaid, unfortunately, to just f- fighters who were kind of forces of nature beyond his that he couldn't ever equal. Um, but he, and he had a very solid overall career and, uh, a pretty fun little fight to go out on. I don't know if Eddie Alvarez is going to stick around bare knuckle for too long. I don't know, but, uh, he, this seems like a, uh, a format that he enjoys. So we might see him at least one more time. And the main event of that uh, particular event was Mike Perry and Luke Rockhold. Um, Perry wins when Rockhold gives it up in the second round. Um, Rockhold's teeth got messed up. And I've been in dental pain. Um, I was for a while, actually. Um, not to go into the story here, so... Suffice to say, I, um, I needed a crown put on one of my teeth, but it originally wasn't bad enough to require a root canal. The crown didn't seat properly, so I was getting zinged by especially cold stuff back there on that side of my mouth. So I went back to the dentist, and they said, yeah, it didn't seat properly, cut it off, resurfaced, because you kind of have to, and whatever extra resurfacing they did of that, what was left of that tooth, got too close to the nerve, and I spent the next, like, um, God, that really sucked. I spent the next, like, month. Three weeks? In just... Um, like, I was rotating ibuprofen and Advil regularly all day to try and deal with it, and it still hurt at times. Um, it was just... It was just miserable. And they had to do the root canal twice, because the first time they did it, it wouldn't stop bleeding when they got most of the way done, and that's a whole other thing. I, eh, not to incriminate myself, but the urge to commit arson on that particular office hit me once or twice during that whole ordeal. Um, I was uh, I was supposed to get it done at one point, but then it turns out that there yeah, was a payment issue that uh, it was deeply frustrating. Would have been frustrating if I wasn't in constant pain. The fact that I was in constant pain made it worse. And I can't imagine being in that kind of pain. It was his front teeth, and mine was like back molar. I can't imagine being in that kind of pain and then getting punched in that area. Like, I am I am not here to cast aspersions at Luke Rockhold's heart. Um, his teeth were messed up, and I, like, again, if you've never had serious dental pain, I envy you. 
Um, I I wish that on very few people. Very few people. To then add in concussive force from a guy like Mike Perry, like I I do not blame Luke Rockhold for giving that one up. Um, I do wonder a little bit about. It's rare that you see the teeth that, like, especially the upper teeth, get really mangled. Um, because that's where your mouth guard is. Some people wear doubles. Some people, do, most people, only wear the top mouth guard. Uh, it's rare you see the top, the upper teeth get screwed up. I wonder if you don't need a slightly different mouth guard configuration for bare knuckle. Um, the, it seems really weird, but just kind of bear with me for a second. The extra, I think the extra, um, PSI, pounds per square inch, that you get out of your bare knuckles, ver versus even like MMA gloves, which are, you know, hand wraps and then very thin gloves. But it does normalize the pressure a little bit across the surface area, right? If you can isolate it to, a, like, the ridges of your knuckles when you punch someone, that that seems to be something that default gear, especially default mouth guards, are not maybe the best equipped for. Like, you might need something a bit more specialized for that. I mean, it's why, you know, you cut more easily and whatnot, because lack of padding, which leads to more... Like, the padding is mostly for your hands. Um, it's also for superficial cosmetic damage to not be a big deal. Uh, because it's very easy to cut or swell if you accurately punch with the... Like, there's very... Like, the reason here with the knuckles, man, there's bone right there, and there's almost no fat on top of it. Uh, it'll it'll mess you up. So, again, I do wonder if there's maybe an equipment adjustment that needs to be made, especially for the mouth guard, for bare knuckle relative to, you know, even just even MMA. I don't know, just a thought. Might be very wrong. It's a thought. Uh, so, very briefly, let me talk about this for a second. Um, yeah, Bare Knuckle kind of won the weekend after the fight. Um, my, Conor McGregor was in attendance, so Mike Perry got a in-ring face-off with Conor after beating Luke Rockhold. <clears throat> Conor in the crowd, drinking uh, whiskey out of this bottle. Um, yeah, the dude... McGregor and Chandler is not a fight that's happening anytime soon. Just throwing that out there. Um, but Bare Knuckle kind of won the weekend. And I think here's the big thing I want to say about that. I understand that Bare Knuckle is not going to be for everyone. Even, like, combat sports in general, not for everyone. Fair to say. I love them, but I know people that don't, and I'm not, I'm not here to preach. Okay. Not for everyone, but boxing, for a variety of reasons, broad appeal, broad history. MMA has mainstream. MMA is mainstream at this point. I was around for a long time when everyone was hoping for it to go mainstream. Guys, if you're still banging that drum, we won. We're on ESPN and ABC. 
at this point, if people aren't interested, then they're not not interested because, oh, that's that dark and dirty, edgy sport. Like, no, they know what it is, and they're just not interested. And you know what? Fair play. There's plenty of sports I'm not interested in. Plenty of sports you're not interested in, and that's okay. Uh, this notion that everyone has to like fighting is kind of ridiculous. But MMA has decent reach, especially with the right personalities attached to it. Decent reach. But things kind of break down a little bit. Like, kickboxing is big in different parts of the world. Never took off in America. Which is really weird when you consider that most MMA these days is just bad-ish kickboxing. I mean, again, bad's a bit of a stretch, but, like, take the average MMA fighter who's a decent kickboxer, or even a good one, except, you know, accepting people with legitimate kickboxing backgrounds, put them in a glory ring, they're going to get chewed up. Um, but, no, but no one in America would watch, and people in America will watch MMA, it's, again, it's weird. I don't know why. Like, I, I genuinely don't know why everyone complains about ground fighting, but then won't watch kickboxing, which is kind of just MMA without takedowns. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. But the point being, like, smaller subset generally for kickboxing. Um, traditional Muay Thai, even like four ounce Muay Thai, which is awesome, by the way. Oh, um, I think it was Takeru who signed with one. We might get Takeru and Rod Tang. And if you're a kickboxing nerd, oh, that's Christmas morning, baby. <laughs> um, but smaller group. And Bare Knuckle is kind of the smallest you're going to get, like, audience reach-wise. As a general rule. And it's okay. Like... There's some inherent, there's some limiting factors for bare knuckle in that respect, and you just have to be honest about them. But if you all recall, not too much, not too long ago, some of us were kind of looking at bare knuckle like, well, you're the, uh, you're the last rung, like you're the lowest rung here. I almost want to thank Dana White for trying so hard to make power slap a thing. Because I think it reminded us how low it can go. The existence of Power Slap legitimized bare knuckle boxing by the like by the by the default of its existence. Like the fact that there exists out there sanctioned CTE for low money made bare knuckle, which is brutal and is bloody. But it it made it look good because whether you like bare knuckle boxing or not, I am not here to sell you on it. It is a skill. It is a legitimate combat sport. Whereas, as opposed to the just spectacle of slap fight, which is nothing. Slap fighting actually legitimized bare knuckle in the kind of combat sports consciousness. And you know what? Fair enough, man. Fair enough. So, Bare Knuckle had a really good weekend. I want to take a minute to acknowledge that. I don't talk about them a whole lot here, but give them their props. Because they deserved it. Alright, let's move on. UFC 288. Let's preview that big event. So, main event. 
Bantamweight title, Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. Here's a factor we need to consider. I'm not saying this is I'm not saying this is the, the be-all end-all, but we need to consider this. I've talked about this a little bit in the past. The title record of fighters 35 and older in the UFC in its entire history between flyweight and welterweight. That's including those divisions. 170 to 125. The cumulative record for fighters over the age of 35 in those weight classes in title fights is 2-28. and 28. Those two wins are Tyron Woodley when he beat Leo, um, Leo Machida, Damian Maya, who was 40, and Darren Till, who shouldn't have been in a title fight. Henry Cejudo is over 35. I'm not saying he can't win. I think that would be I think it would be ridiculous to say he cannot win this fight. But that's a statistic that is against him. He's sorry, he's 36. He turned 36 in February. That that is a big hurdle, man. It's just a big hurdle. He hasn't fought since May of 2020, so he's been out over 3 it'll be about 3 it'll be over 3 years when this fight happens. Now, Cejudo is a remarkable competitor. Uh, he is he is no one to be trifled with. But the age is a factor. The ring rust is a factor. Sterling's 33, man. He is right in his physical prime. He's right there. He hasn't lost since 2017. Hmm. I know a lot of people got a bad taste in their mouth about him over his last couple of fights. Winning the belt via DQ, that sucked. Losing to Peter Yon... Uh, sorry, losing. Beating Peter Yon via split decision that maybe could have gone the other way. And then the Dillashaw thing with Dillashaw fighting without a shoulder, basically. Like... It's unfortunate for him that his last, that his entire title run thus far has been kind of, kind of had these asterisks. I, this is tough. I'm going to lean towards Sterling. I think, again, the age and the time off is a big factor. A couple of other things here. Cejudo is, what, 5'4", Sterling is 5'3". That's a, three inches is a that's non-trivial in height. How about reach? 71 for Sterling. 64. Yes, yeah, seven inches of reach. Sterling has to be careful with his kicks. He tends to kick a lot. He's got to be careful with them. But um, that range is going to be a problem. So who does? Here's the other thing, man. That three years off. For Cejudo, man, that 33 to 36, you lose stuff. You just do. Yeah, I again, I'm going to lean towards Sterling. That said, like, how can Cejudo win this? If he can make Sterling just wrestle with him, um, if Sterling gets too comfortable on his back, if Cejudo's able to get him down and kind of control him, if Sterling doesn't manage distance well and gets pressed into the fence and lets Cejudo get close enough to unload, 
Cejudo's got fast hands, and he's got some good power. Sterling tends to fight. Again, he fights a little rangier. More, again, more. Um, he's got decent power as well, but not a big striker. Tends to keep you all the way out until he can get you to make a mistake. His back takes are exceptional. He might get one of those off of Cejudo. Like, I, I imagine Sterling will get the back at some point. He's just that good at it. Um, I'm leaning Sterling here. The That said, man, if Cejudo comes back, bucks the age trend after three years off to beat Sterling, that's a pretty remarkable feat. Just throwing it up. That would be a pretty remarkable feat. So, that's your main event. Easily the best fight on the card. We got some decent supporting fights, though. Welterweight Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns. This came together fairly quickly. Um, the takedown's going to be critical here. Muhammad is mostly a, like, fence wrestling clinch guy and grinder. I think that's normally what he does. I mean, he's got a he's got a good winning streak going, but that TKO over Sean Brady that Muhammad got last year, that was his first finish since 2016. He's not a big finisher. So this was a striking finish. He choked out uh, Takashi Sato in 2019, but you know, he's just he's not a big finish threat. Um. Both guys are willing to get after it. Muhammad's striking is just, it's very fundamental. It's very meat and potatoes. Burns is the, I think Burns is heavier handed. Burns is the better jujitsu guy, but if Burns winds up on his back for prolonged periods of time, he might get a little bit too comfortable there. I don't know, man. I, I have a real hard time picking against Gilbert Burns at this point, and I hate I hate that I'm constantly kind of shortchanging Bilal Muhammad because it feels like I am and I don't mean to. I should have picked him against Sean Brady. I really should have. Like that, that was a mistake on my part. Um, but is Burns the best fighter, Muhammad? No, Muhammad fought Leon Edwards. That was not going his way, though. Has he fought a really top-ranked guy since then, though? I mean, hang on. Maya on his way out. Thompson a little... Yeah, you know, Burns is probably going to be his best opponent since the uh, the Leon Edwards fight. And you could make... Yeah, I'm picking Burns. I might be very wrong, and the winner of this fight should get a title shot. Either Dude, if, if Muhammad beats Gilbert Burns, and they find some way to screw him, that's criminal. That should be criminal if they screw that guy again. Um, he should be fighting for the belt right now. He is the most deserving contender. But the UFC is going to UFC, so, you know. I I, I am going to pick Burns here, though, man. It's a tough fight, though. It's a pretty good fight. At strawweight, uh, Jessica Andrade will fight Yan Xiaonan. This is Andrade returning to strawweight. She's bounced around a little bit. Um, her last strawweight fight was 2022, April, when she beat Amanda Lemos. 
She's fought twice this year, beating Lauren Murphy, then the short notice loss to Blanchfield, both of those at flyweight. Um, Jan's coming off a majority decision win over Mackenzie Dern. She got TKO'd by Carlos Sparza. I'm not going to call this a straight setup fight for Andrade. That, that's hugely disrespectful to Jan. But I got a real hard time seeing Jan handling Andrade. I got a real hard time seeing that. Um, if Andrade wins this, she might get her rematch with Zhang Weili. Which I wouldn't hate either. Like I, I don't hate that fight at all. Dude, women's strawweight is such a weird division, man. It's such a weird division. Like when you consider the fact that the best... I don't mind calling Rosanama Yunus the best fighter in that weight class as a general rule. Like She beat the most successful strawweight ever in Ioana. Lost the belt on a slam. Regained it eventually, beating Zhang twice, then lost it in a staring contest to Carla Esparza, who was summarily squashed by Zhang Weili. <laughs> the ups and downs of Rosnama Yunus's career make the strawweight division and its history so bizarre. Just so bizarre. Um, but I, I would like... I'm not going to complain about Andrade and Zhang fighting again. I'm just not. Um, yeah, I'm picking Andrade here. Featherweight, Movsar Evloyev and Bryce Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell doubling down on his uh, weird worldviews this last week. Um, Mitchell coming off, I believe, that loss to Ilya Teporia. Yeah, dude, Teporia broke him. Um, I don't know that Evloyev will do the same. Evloyev undefeated. Coming off that win over Dan Ige, that's not easy to do. Um, it's a good fight. I expect some fun grappling out of this. Um, both, you know, both guys can wrestle, both guys can scramble. Uh, we should be in for a pretty good one here. I'm going to lean towards Evloyev. I, I'm i curious to see how Mitchell responds to that Teporia loss, because that was kind of a bad one. Uh, also at featherweight, Crohn uh, Gracie and Charles Jordan. Gracie's been out of action since he lost to Cub Swanson and then complained vociferously about how he should have won that decision, even though he really shouldn't have. That was October of 19. What the heck has he been doing for... Three and a half years. Um, yeah, not, pff, no idea why. Um, Jordan, Jordan's been up and down, man. He's on a two-fight losing streak. I mean, Shane Burgos and Nathaniel Wood. Like, two really talented guys. But yeah, his whole career is kind of up and down. You can see some of the pieces, but he's never really harmonized his game. I think I'm going to pick him here, but... I mean, after that much time off, Gracie's kind of an unknown, so... 
Uh, agree with me at your peril there, I guess. Uh, that's the main card. Um, again, not a bad main card. That's a solid top two fights. If Loyavin Mitchell's fun, Andrade is a relevant fighter. I'm not going to complain. Prelims, Drew Dober and Matt Frivola. That'll be fun. Um, my hunch is Frivola. Is, uh, Frivola. Hang on. Is my hunch Frivola? He knocked out Otman Azaitar, beat uh, Gennaro Valdez before that. Dude, knocking out Drew Dober is just very, very hard. I mean, Bobby Green lit Drew Dober up, and Dober just kind of walked through it. Yeah, I'm going Dober. Um, light heavyweight, Kennedy and, uh, and Chukwu, and Devin Clark. Is that Chukwu? I, for, I always forget how to pronounce this guy's name, and I apologize. Um, the UFC likes... Um, the UFC likes the Chukwu. Um, they don't really like Devin Clark. Probably Zuchukwu. Um, Clark's not bad, but he's just, he's just very, very middle of the road. Uh, let's see, welterweight Chaos Williams and Rolando Bedoya. Uh, probably Williams. Alright, um, Williams lost to Randy Brown. That was it was a lesson, but he knocked out he knocked out Miguel Baeza before that. Yeah, it's Williams there. Um, Strawweight, Marino Rodriguez and Virna Jandiroba. That's actually pretty good. Um, Rodriguez coming off of that loss to Amanda Lemos. That really set her back. She was looking at a title shot, potentially. Uh, we'll have to see how she does. Uh, Jandiroba... Beat Angela Hiller last time out. Lost to um, Amanda Hibas before that. That's a pretty good fight. That's a pretty good fight. Um, I think... Don't quote me on this one. I certainly don't bet on this one. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Rodriguez, but... I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a tough one. Early prelims. Heavyweights. Boo. Braxton Smith and Parker Porter. Um, Mr. Porter on a two-fight losing streak to Jelton Almeida and Justin Taffa. Mr. Smith, though, is making his UFC debut. He is 5-1. and one. Um, On a five-fight winning streak, he's only lost to Chase Sherman. Debuting against Chase Sherman is kind of tough. Um, uh, am I going to pick Porter? Yeah, sure. Why not? It'll be funny. Uh, let's see. Middleweight, Phil Hawes. Um, dude, he got, he got wrecked by Roman DeLidze last year. I'm a little bit surprised he's back as soon as he is. Um, his knee got his knee got messed up. He is fighting Ikram Aliskerov. Aliskerov? Don't know where the accent would be. Um, Aliskerov's only loss is to Kamzat Shemaev. Um, he is on a five-fight winning streak, running through Brave Eagle, Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, 
Phil Haas is a tough draw for your debut. I, I am going to lean towards Alex Serov, though, but that's a tough fight. Um, flyweights. Um, is that Rafael or Rafael? Where are you from, sir? Brazil. Rafael Estevam. Undefeated. Uh, coming off a contender series win. He's fighting Jalgas Jumagulov, that poor guy. I thought he retired after his last fight because he was so... I th I thought he beat... I Did I think he beat Molina? I, I thought there was an argument for him beating Molina. I'm not sure I agreed with it. I did kind of think he got screwed in that Charles Johnson fight. Um... He's on a three-fight losing streak. He's one and five in the UFC. That's really unfortunate. Um, he's looked pretty good in some of these losses. I'm going to pick Zuma Gulov, but... Uh, this might be win or go home for him. Let's see. Middleweight, Joseph Holmes and Claudio Hibero. Uh, Holmes, I think he's still looking for his first UFC win, isn't he? He's eight and three. I know one and two in the UFC. Who did he beat? All oh, right, Amadovsky. Lost it to Jamie Pickett and John Young Park. Hiberio. Are you who I'm thinking of? No, you are not. Lost his UFC debut to Abdul Razak Al Hassan. I think it's still Hiberio, but I don't know. We're dealing with we're dealing with a lot of volatility when you get to that end of the talent pool. And finally, at bantamweight, Daniel Santos and Johnny Munoz Jr. Hang on, do we have a backup for our main event? I'm just curious. Uh, I don't think we. I really hope they do, man, because if something happens to one of those guys, you really... I don't mind Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns, but that's not moving pay-per-views. Anyway, sorry. Neither here nor there. Um, Mr. Santos. 10-2. and 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Lost to Julio Arce. Knocked out John Castaneda uh, last year, October. Uh, Munoz, 12 and 2. He's been up and down in the UFC, if I recall. Yeah, 2 and 2. Losses to Nate Manis and Tony Gravely. Wins over Jamie Simmons and Ludovic Sholinan. I, I think this is Santos, actually, as far as my pick. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Santos. But... It's bantamweight, hard to find, not impossible to find bad bantamweight fights, but it's not the easiest. So, that's the card. Saturday we'll be covering it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so please stop by and say hello. As always, I appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. I Let's move on to the news. I talked about that already, so we'll leave that alone. Uh, let's talk about a random statistic. We are now 100 UFC events since the last event that was main evented by Flyweights. Um, was it 100 events or 100 fights? Hang on. How long? Let me double. I want to double check this because I want to make sure I get it right. Um, what was? 
was the last time it might have happened? Um, Big Rado and Moreno would have been... Is that 287? No. A little bit further back. 85? No, that was Grasso and Shevchenko. Uh, not Usman Edwards. I know it was on pay-per-view. Um, no, Makashev and Volkanovski was uh, Rodriguez and Emmett in your co-main. 280, yeah, 283. So that was headlined by Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill. So, geez, are we really 100 events back? So hang on. So that would be total event number, what, 545? Uh, that was, yeah, so UFC 256, Figueredo and Moreno at their first fight. Yeah. Has not been a UFC event of any kind, main evented by flyweight, since that one. The UFC will throw the crappiest heavyweight fight, or... Um, I'm not bagging on Sean Strickland here when I mention this, but you know Sean Strickland gets another main event. And meanwhile, like, top flyweights are just... Uh, the disrespect to the division, man. It's just... It's sad that the fighters aren't able to build momentum because they are constantly diminished. Now, the UFC has made it very clear they don't care about them and their placement on cards, they're, like, they're just telling you very clearly what they think about that division. Uh, that's unfortunate. Justice for flyweights. Start a hashtag, somebody with a Twitter following, because <laughs> mine is not very good. All right, uh, let's move on. Okay, let's talk about this very fast. So Power Slap has a drug problem. Six of the 12 participants in the last Power Slap doohickey, um, six of them were suspended for drug violations by the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission. Bear in mind, that's not USADA testing. I guarantee you there was no USADA testing for the slappers. These guys failed the Nevada State drug testing for all kinds of things. Um, some of which was performance enhancing, some of which was like, hey, meth. Um, but no, it's a legitimate sport. Just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Egg all over everyone's face. Um, this photo also got circulated, but for a while leading up to last night's event, the like the most recent six videos that the UFC was putting up on their YouTube page had nothing to do with MMA. It was the power slap stuff. You know, if this is so popular, well, let me just put this out there. If this is as popular as Dana White claims, why are you having to piggyback off of all the UFC social media content? Why isn't there a Power Slap Facebook page? Why isn't there a Power Slap YouTube channel? Why isn't there a Power Slap Twitter? Why were you piggybacking 
all of this onto the UFC's name recognition. Yeah, just. I wonder the degree to which Dana will be allowed to continue those shenanigans after the merger. I just wonder. Maybe, look, maybe they don't change anything, but I don't know. I don't know. All right, that's kind of everything I had written down. The power slap thing just made me laugh. Uh, So let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy has happened. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Okay, nope, update. Update on my justice for flyweights as I was recording this. Um, Kai Carter France is claiming that his fight versus Amir Albazi will now be the five-round main event of some upcoming Apex card. Which really, like, they should be doing that. Not like they're selling tickets anyway to these things. To anyone who hasn't, like, paying through the nose for the exclusive experience. Yeah, that's so UFC on ESPN 45, the the event that lost Brendan Allen versus Jack Hermanson. Apparently they're bumping Kaikara France and Amir Al-Bazi instead of bumping Misha Tate and Myra Buena Silva, and thank you for that. Um, so, hey, took a hundred events. Little over by the time it rolls around, but finally. So, good for them. Good for them. They deserve it. All right. Continue scrolling Twitter. No, nothing new other than that. So, let's plug. Uh, special Damn You Hollywood's coming up this week. Let's see. Last week was the discussion of Evil Dead Rise. That was a fun one. Myself, Mark Radlitz, Jason Teasley, and Dorian Price got together. This week, special time, Wednesday morning, noon Eastern. We will have a discussion of the biopic for George Foreman, Big George Foreman. That will be myself, Mark Radlich, and Pat Mullen. Uh, we'll get together and talk that. Always fun to talk with Pat, especially boxing-related stuff. Thursday morning, I'm going to be part of a Damn You Hollywood for the new Peter Pan and Wendy movie on Disney+. Plus. I am doing this because I mentioned in passing that I have an argument that I put forth on occasion about Peter Pan. And Mark wanted to hear it. He said, just do a drive-by. I said, look, if I'm going to be on the show, I'm going to be on the show. And we'll review the movie proper. I'll suffer through watching it. It looks like crap. Um, but no, I have I have a couple of fun arguments I put forth on occasion that... I'm not saying they're wrong, because it come, it's about how you interpret media. And... I tend to think it's fun to put twists like this. Like, the the one that I think most of. I've argued with support from the text that Romeo and Juliet is a comedy the whole way through. There's an, The general interpretation of it is that the first, like, two acts, which are structured almost exactly like every other uh, Shakespearean comedy, when someone dies in the duel, because normally Shakespearean duels and comedies don't end in death. When someone dies, it turns into a tragedy. My argument, and again, I... I haven't made this in a long time. I'd have to double-check it. But I I used to, in the past, make the argument that, no, it's still a comedy. It's a dark comedy, but it's still a comedy. Everyone just assumes it's tragedy because death is tragic. And, and in fiction, death is not always tragic. So, again, I've argued that point. 
my argument about Peter Pan is that Peter Pan is not the hero of the story. And I can support the argument. I will be, and that's kind of what I said was, you know, Peter Pan's not the hero, right? And Mark kind of went, okay, Mr. Refuses to Revive His Dead podcast called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. Fine, come on, you make your case. So I will be trotting out my old argument about that on that podcast. So if you're interested, begin Thursday morning, double dose of Damn You Hollywood this week. So looking forward to that. Um, the usual spate of coverage. I don't know what's up with AEW's Dark Elevation. That show might be coming to an end. Um, so if there is an episode this Monday, I will be covering it. If not, um, AEW's trying to gear up to add another television show. They'll be adding Collision to Dynamite and Rampage. And something kind of had to give, and I guess it was Elevation. So fair play if that's the case. But if they're releasing anything, I will cover it. WWE SmackDown on Friday, as usual, and then the UFC event on Saturday. So um, stay tuned for all of that. Those are in the Wrestling and MMA Zones uh, 411mania.com if you're so inclined to stop by. I appreciate it. All right, that's it. This time next week, we will be back here to review UFC 288 and preview our morning show. Because UFC on ABC4 has its prelims start at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. That's 9.30 in the morning for me, so that'll be fun. Uh, we'll have a full preview of that card. It's not... It's not great. I'm, I'm not... I'll, look, I tell you guys the truth, right? It's what I do. It's not great. So... Uh, but we will preview it next week, so I hope to see you then. Until then, thank you all very, very much, as always, for listening. Appreciate you guys and all you do for the show. I will see you next week. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.